Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Aristotle Funds. Here's your guest host, Matt Trimble, Senior Client Portfolio Manager. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. Everything we do at Aristotle Pacific Capital is built off credit, and that starts with the analyst team. Today, we're going to discuss the role of trading, specifically within the corporate bond market. Our guest is Mike Lonia, Managing Director and Head of Trading at Aristotle Pacific Capital, Sub-Advisor for Aristotle Funds Fixed Income Funds. Mike has been with Aristotle Pacific Capital, formerly Pacific Asset Management, for over 17 years and focuses on trading across the investment-grade corporate bonds and leveraged finance. He also is one of a handful of Philadelphia fans at our firm, which is an added bonus in my book. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Glad to be here. So just to kick things off, I know many of us are familiar with the role of being a trader, but probably not as familiar with your day-to-day responsibilities. Do you mind walking us through what a typical day looks like living in your world, especially on the West Coast? Sure. So I would say that there's not necessarily a typical day, given that every day is very unique as markets are constantly evolving Uh, But as you mentioned, being on the West Coast adds a different wrinkle to what we do given the time difference. So um, I'm usually in between 5.30 a.m. and 6 a.m. Stock market obviously opens up at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time, so I like to be in before then. Uh, Typical uh, start to my day includes checking equity futures, Uh, reviewing economic releases that typically come out at 5.30 a.m. Pacific time, and then going through some of the macro headlines, as well as some of the credit headlines of the day as well. And then we start to get into the primary and secondary markets for credit. So primary markets being new bonds that are issued that day, and then secondary being existing bonds So reviewing the outstanding orders that we have to see what's executable and then uh, diving right into our morning meeting. That's great. So Mike, what what does the 7.30 meeting typically entail? Sure. So it's an all hands on deck meeting that we have each morning at uh, 7.30 a.m. Pacific time uh, that is headlined by reviewing the macroeconomic releases of the day, uh, as those are obviously very pertinent to what we do in the credit markets, uh, and then going through some credit news. And then uh, it's open forum for the analysts, portfolio managers, and business teams to give their latest thoughts as well. So it's a nice meeting for everyone to come together uh, prior to the rush of the day to share thoughts on the latest uh, views and markets and whatnot. Mike, what if we take a step back here? How does trading in the bond market differ from equity market trading and maybe more specifically within corporate bonds given our niche there? So in terms of trading mechanics, it's very different trading a stock versus a bond. So stocks trade over listed exchanges, bonds trade over the counter. So in bond trading, you need both parties to agree to a price in order to execute. So it's much more hand-to-hand when you're trading rather than equities. Also on the bond side, we're dealing direct with brokers on the other side to agree to those prices where we transact. So brokers such as Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Citi, 
uh, send out levels throughout the day where you can buy and sell bonds at different levels. And then they are constantly adjusting and moving those levels throughout the day based on market conditions. Uh, so that's kind of the um, uh, the trading mechanics between the two asset classes. I will note that it is very different just from an asset class perspective, stocks versus bonds. So just for example, we have the top three non-financial issuers in the credit index that each have 46 to 48 individual bonds that are U.S. denominated, not to mention they also have multiple foreign currency bonds as well. If you compare that to the stock market, there's one stock for each of those issuers. So it's a very different breadth of securities that you're able to transact in in the bond market rather than the stock market. And obviously that has liquidity implications as well. So you, you mentioned brokers, Mike, when it comes to trading on the bond side. Just kind of curious, um, can you give us a sense, do relationships really matter when it comes to trading in the bond market? And really, like, how much is done via computer screen, or I like to call machine versus kind of more old school, pick up the phone, uh, speaking to another human on the other end? Matt, similar to your role on the business side, one of the key aspects of my job, besides the trade execution portion, is ensuring that our relationships with the dealers are solid. So we've had constant turnover with sales and trading at a lot of these brokers. There's been a lot of moving chairs, so it's imperative for us to put in the work to maintain relationships and build up relationships as we have new personnel in the seats. Uh, the reason is that these relationships come into play not only on the primary side with new issue allocations and, and uh, assisting with getting our story in front of syndicate desks, but also on the secondary side, working in between us and the trader on the other side with trade execution as well. It's interesting. Most of our trades, when I first started trading in 2007, were executed over the phone, done directly over the phone with a trader or a salesperson on the other side. But this has shifted to nearly entirely uh, all of our trades getting done over Bloomberg chats or over electronic trading platforms as well. So it's definitely changed the dynamics with the relationships. But the thing that doesn't change is the fact that the relationships are still very important in uh, moving the ball down the field, so to speak, with a lot of these relationships to ensure that we're in good standings uh, because of the primary and secondary implications. Uh, I just want to say that uh, while I mentioned electronic trading, it's been a massive growth in global uh, globally for electronic trading on the credit side. So if you look back 10 years ago, the volumes that were being executed on the investment grade side, we're around 11% market share on market access. It's now doubled to over 20% in the latest year. And on the high yield side, the growth has been even more staggering. 10 years ago, market share for market access was 2% and it's now 18%. So we've seen a tremendous amount of growth on the electronic trading platform. Dovetailing off of that, could you talk about maybe more some of the differences between the secondary market and kind of the, the new issue primary market? 
Yeah, so the primary market, we have issuers that are bringing new bonds to the market each day. Uh, we have uh, on all of the asset classes that happens. Uh, the calendar ebbs and flows along with market conditions. So as we see market conditions that are on strong footing, we tend to see a lot of issuance. And as uh, we see market volatility and maybe some not so strong footing, we definitely see a lack of primary. The secondary, on the other hand, is very consistent. So the secondary market, again, consists of all the existing bonds. And the volumes have definitely been uh, very decent in the high yield and investment grade side. So just to put in perspective what the volumes are, high yield daily volumes have averaged 13 billion in uh, recent years. Investment grade has been around 25 billion per day. If you put that in context from what we typically see on the primary side, we typically have uh, high yield primary issuance that is around $5 billion per week. So there's definitely a large amount of getting done on the secondary compared to the primary market. In terms of what we do on our side, we typically have a two-thirds to one-third split between the asset classes with the secondary market versus the primary market in a normal issuance year. 2022 was an anomaly in terms of issuance for loans and high yields compared to recent years. But in a normal year, it's usually we're executing two thirds of our volumes in the secondary market and roughly a third in the primary market. So I think uh, a lot of our listeners will be interested in just kind of describing a typical trade flow decision tree process at a high level, maybe starting with the analyst idea. Sure. So we have different ways that the trades are being sent into the trade desk. Uh, one of those is analyst-derived ideas. So they're coming up with their own ideas on credits within their own sectors, and they are run, reviewing those with the portfolio managers to see if there's an appetite from the portfolio managers to implement those trades in their portfolios. And then if the portfolio manager likes the idea, then they get sent to the trade desk and then I execute it. Uh, the other way is a portfolio manager driven trades as well. So there are times where they're adjusting positioning, duration or strategy within a certain sector or maybe just broader across the entire portfolio. So we also have portfolio managers uh, dictating those trades and sending those into the trade desk. And then there's also trade ideas that are derived from the trade desk. So myself and our trade assistant uh, were recommending trades, a lot of times swaps. So buying one security while selling another um, to show those into the portfolio manager teams to see if they have appetite to execute those trades as well. Thinking along those lines as well, does the remote work environment or hybrid environment, has that changed or disrupted that process in any way? No, it's been very seamless. Uh, as I mentioned before, the, the electronification of a lot of the communication with the dealers carries over to the internal communication as well. So it's been a seamless process from the early stages of 2020 to today. Uh, a lot of what we do is communicated over uh, Bloomberg chats or over the phone or over Zoom as well. So I would say, or even picking up the phone and just calling someone. So it's it's been very seamless and we haven't had 
any hiccups in terms of the communication channels. How about just, again, given your role, head of trading uh, for fixed income here on the corporate side, what are some of the trends that impacted your role the most in 2022? And kind of what are you watching closely as we kick off 23 here? I expect 2023 to be pretty similar from a, a volatility standpoint as 2022 was. So we had obviously elevated volatility throughout last year. Uh, elevated volatility used to bring about better liquidity in uh, prior years, but it was actually the opposite last year in recent months. And it resulted in orders for high yield and investment grade taking a lot longer to execute. So while uh, hard trades might have taken a couple days in prior years, it's now taking a lot longer. So uh, that's forced us to be more creative, finding pockets of liquidity in order to accomplish trade agendas across all the asset classes, really, to uh, figure out where liquidity lies. We've also had an elevated amount of derivative index usage uh, last year, in, uh, as well as in the credit ETFs. So we had IG and high yield CDX volumes up over 60% year over year in 2022. Uh, we had credit ETF volumes continuing to grow last year as well. I think on the investment grade side, they were up 40%. The high yield portion was up 50% as well. Uh, the market participants are trying to find places to have sufficient liquidity to move in and out of positions easily. And that has resulted in these elevated volumes on the derivative side, as well as on the ETF side. So in 2023, it'd be nice to see a shift back to a better balance between cash bond trading and derivatives. But I think, especially on the high yield side, we need more of a robust primary market to be able to really unlock some of the liquidity uh, that's needed to boost the cash bond trading. Uh, we've also had some dealers pulling back on some of their liquidity on the portfolio trading side. So those are large lists that we utilize to execute some larger trades. We've noticed a pullback from some of the dealers in that trading vehicle as well. So keeping an eye to monitor that situation to see if it improves uh, as we enter the new year. And then lastly, which has been the case in recent years, just the growth in electronic trading and the fact that we've had poor liquidity, it's kind of moved more volumes into these electronic trading platforms, as I mentioned before. So just to see if that trend continues and uh, we are always on the lookout for new platforms out there to see if uh, there's better liquidity solutions for us for trading. So no shortage of, uh, of items to keep on top of as we go into this. No series. shortage. So kind of wrapping up here, Mike, uh, you've been trading fixed income for nearly 20 years now. What would you say has changed for the better? You know, what do you miss? My day-to-day -day operations for trading is a lot less conversational with the brokers than it was when I first started. So I do miss more of the personal touch of my job when I first started. I was constantly on the phone and having phone calls with folks throughout the day. Uh, now that has definitely evolved to a lot more electronic communication. I don't know, this is kind of part of the new school way of doing business, but it also kind of goes along with the times. I mean, if you think back to 
personally, it, it'd be hard to believe the amount of texting that you do nowadays versus picking up the phone and calling someone. So my job has definitely evolved along with the times um, and a lot more electronic uh, communication. It's a lot less personal uh, than it used to be, but the relationships are still there and they still matter. It's just a different way of communicating. Uh, the other thing that's changed drastically from when I first started out was the liquidity portion. So this was pre-Dodd-Frank and pre-Trace reporting. When I first started, both of those have had a dramatic impact on liquidity for the credit markets. Um, we've also had a massive amount of issuance in recent years. And a lot of the traders on the credit side have a lot of individual line items to keep track of now. So liquidity has just been diminished as a result dramatically as a result of all that combined and not to mention the electronic trading portion, which wasn't even relevant back when I first started has now grown to be an extremely important element of what I do and continues to be on a growth trajectory each year, it seems like for investment grade and high yield. Well, great. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate your time and your insights today. And most importantly, go birds. Thanks for having me, Matt. Really appreciate it and couldn't agree more. Go birds. That's it for this edition of Getting Credit. Until next time. The views in this commentary are as of the date recorded and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice, as market and other conditions warranted. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed.